You're listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2212 South Broad Street. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. You might know that we've been talking uh, recently about questions, that we've been, we've been taking questions the last few weeks. And this whole message series that goes through the end of September is called Someone Asked because we've been picking a different question each week and uh, trying to answer it with the message. And there's been so many great questions that we're going to have kind of a free-for-all on the last week. There's a fifth Sunday in September, and so all the questions that we didn't get to, I hope we can get to them in that Sunday and, and answer them together. But this one um, comes from our Marlton Pike congregation. And this questioner is asking about risk, kind of along the lines of our our prayer that we were um, just offering up to God together. They they wrote, Rosa Parks sat on the wrong seat of the bus and triggered a revolution. Others may have tried the same thing before and got arrested, beaten, or worse. Should I risk similar things, putting my family at risk with me? So I like this question because uh, the questioner is admitting that there are problems in the world that are worth risking to solve. And it, it sounds like this questioner believes that our purpose as people of faith is, isn't just to keep the status quo and accept whatever, um, however society um, has been put together and ignore the problems that we see around us. As a circle of hope, we don't think that we're living off of some kind of faith inheritance in the United States, um, as if the landscape is Christian or something, or, or ever used to be. We know that empires like the one we live in are built um, around power and money, and... Um, This means that some people are made to suffer more than others. And these are not Christian ideals. And we're not called to ignore suffering. And I I think that I like that this questioner gets that. We're called to reveal the kingdom of God here now. Our Anabaptist Circle of Hope has um, Anabaptist roots. And our Anabaptist ancestors in faith I think, give us some inspiration to keep resisting the status quo. Some, Many of them got burned at the stake and such for baptizing each other. Instead, when, when they, when they um, came to have a personal relationship with Jesus, they started to baptize each other instead of um, baptizing their children as a sign of citizenship by the state. And, um, you know, and all that came with that, the paying, paying the taxes, fighting the wars that the state required. They resisted because they were realizing that Jesus was a peacemaker. And many were killed for that. So they remind me that rebellion and resistance is often necessary, and we shouldn't be surprised um, that the way of Jesus is not mandated by the government or something. 
it's not something that sh that should be mandated anyway, right? It's comes from the heart, and it's a choice that each of us have the honor and responsibility to work out with God and others. I think we get to decide about Jesus, right? And that gives us the freedom to decide everything else that we're willing to put up with or not. And as you know, um, Rosa Parks, she's uh, she's quite a legend, so it feels kind of like it... it um, feels a little risky to even talk about her, but I'm honored to. Um, her famous refusal to not give up her seat to the white people that came on the bus that the bus driver was telling her to do that day, her refusal uh, helped to spark the civil rights movement that was already getting going in 1955, and it was mostly getting going in black churches and this movement was an expression of the gospel of Jesus, I think. You know, even of the cross that bears witness to suffering with nonviolent direct action. I think the civil rights movement was informed by a sense of vocation and calling um, to bear witness to the lordship of Jesus and to bring the kingdom of God here now. And Rosa was, according to her writings, she was personally working with that really directly. And so my simple answer to the question of should, should we take risks like this is, is yes, we should take whatever risks God calls us to take to reveal the kingdom of God here now. Obviously, um, if the political and social and economic systems are stacked against you as they were with Rosa, you're, you're, taking, a, you're taking a really life-threatening risk by sticking your neck out. But all followers of Jesus, I think, are called to make choices with what we've each been given. So I think a big thing that we can learn from Rosa's courage is to organize our lives with others um, so that when we act on our convictions, we're not really alone. When Rosa got bailed out from prison that night, the NAACP was at her house planning the Montgomery bus boycott, boycott that would have huge success over the next 381 days, although I hesitate to call it success because it came at the price of leaders' houses being burned and um, people walking to work for over a year. But the movement really took off from this moment I think partly because Rosa had been resisting um, white supremacism with others since she was a young girl. And she really had organized her whole life um, around these convictions. She'd been developing her faith in God in practical ways and sharing it for a long time before this moment. She married somebody who shared her values. Um, at the time of her arrest, she was the secretary of the NAACP in her area, and um, she led the youth empowerment movement of that chapter. Um, she met with other black leaders weekly who were part of the Montgomery Improvement Association. And so when the bus driver asked her to move that day, her conviction was already on the top of her brain. It wasn't the first time she was being brave or stepping out in faith. 
and she knew the solidarity of her community. Now, I think um, in spite of the questioner phrasing the question this way, it's kind of impossible to compare one person's courage with another's, right? Um, and so that's not, I'm not trying to do that in that in this talk. That's not the point. Rosa Parks was resisting the, the systematic genocidal subjugation of people of color in, from generations before her and generations after. And I don't think that situation can, can accurately be compared. But I think the questioner senses the ongoing nature of injustice and is asking, what are the risks that I'm really called to take? I happen to know the person who is asking this question is a, is a grandfather who's a part of our church. It's not Rod. <laughs> There's not many grandfathers, so just wanted to say that. But I think they're really asking, what are the risks that I'm called to take and how far should I go with that? And I think it's a good, I think it's an apt question for our time. And I can't, I can only answer, you know, I can't really answer the question for, for anyone else. I know some of the risks that I feel have been, have felt called to take, um, that have affected my family, certainly, and I have to keep listening for those. But we can't really answer that question for others, but I, I can point out that that's part of the reason that we are organized together as a church, is to keep taking risks together that God is calling us to take. And I think that's a big part of what Jesus was doing in being lifted up from the earth to draw all people to him, to redeem the world together. What with all of the good reasons to be anti-institution these days, and there are many, right? I think this, this questioner really reminds me that there's a lot of value in being organized with others for a common purpose. You know, ours being to share the love of Christ because it enables us to follow that conviction and not be alone in it. You know, all the little things we do to organize our hearts and our minds and our, our, la our schedules and our loves and September is a good time to do that, right? A lot of us are working on that. All those little things that we do to get organized really matter. And Rosa Parks really knew that. She writes about it in her book, Quiet Strength. Our lives and our loves on a daily basis, I think, come to a head in these crucial moments. And we make ourselves ready to respond to the issues of our time to reveal the kingdom of God here now together. We organize, we are organized as a church. We, sometimes, we don't look very well organized sometimes, so um, just want to admit that, but we, we try. And one of the main ways that we try to be organized as a people together is in these small groups that we form throughout the week that we call cells. Um, and we, like Wen was saying, we felt called this year to revitalize this movement. It's a face-to-face, heart-to-heart, spirit-to-spirit movement. Um, cells are these groups of 10-ish people. This is Johnny Rashid's cell recently. Not all of our cells are, cell meetings are that big. In fact, I think they're, 
most of them are like like the little mustard seeds that Jesus talks about, um, opportunities that could grow into something much bigger as people like connect authentically. We call them the basic building blocks of the church because I think they're real human defenses against the despair and the isolation and competition that we that, that makes the world go round. They're real live opportunities for people to get to know each other and to encourage each other in faith. And they're not social cliques or clubs, I hope. They're open, and in fact, not just open, but focused on inclusion and keeping an empty chair for whoever's next. I think they're becoming even more strange and more valuable um, in the world now as we move toward more and more virtual relating where our opportunities for face-to-face -face connection, you know, are more and more controlled uh, according to like economic exchanges at work or, or even like, you know, social exchanges that are built on like just affinity groups, like um, people getting to like, like to run or something. Nothing wrong with that, but cells Cells are different in that lots of different kinds of people can come together around Jesus. I think the cell gives us a chance to take risks in love, generous and free. And, and I think for lots of people, they can even become like a second chance at family in some ways. You know, we all know the struggles of relating. We know our own brokenness. And the cell gives us some space to face that fear and inconvenience. Um, and like any struggle, to find this huge opportunity to grow and be transformed in basic human ways, like as people who can be known and loved and important in the transformation of others. So if you haven't been a part of a cell meeting yet, I wanted to show you a little um, video from ours this week. It's just, it's just, uh, it was just like the after. I'm terrible at selfies and home videos. It's just the people saying hi, like the whoever was left after the meeting ended. Um, but we talked about everything from anger to music to new babies and new jobs and prayers for new jobs in this meeting, and it just reminded me that, like, I never really know what's going to happen, exactly what's going to happen in the cell meeting. But I like that because God has a chance to work, and the Holy Spirit has a chance to to lead, and, and I get this sense of the abundance of Christ again, like that there really is more than enough love to go around. Um, so Micah has the video. So, so this is our cell, and we're very loud most of the time, um, but these are real great people, and I just want you to have a chance to see them right now and to say hi. So, hi. South Philly. Hi. Hello. 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 <laughs> All right, bye guys. I think we are organ we organize ourselves in cells because people need each other. We need each other.
We need other human beings. And I think it's probably the most simple, simple but powerful way that we can resist um, the isolation and the competition and the despair of our stressed out world. And we know how we can all get caught up in that. And so I think we need to keep creating spaces with others where the Holy Spirit can lead. This is the alternative community that I think is much needed in our region here. And I could see it happening on Friday, too. Um, when I went to my, uh, our cell apprentice is an artist, and she had a first Friday show at 7th and Walnut. And we noticed that she had this picture. One of the pieces um, was this little sketch that was called Septa Church. And um, it was such a shout out to somebody in our cell because um, one of our cellmates often talks about how God speaks to her on the subway. She feels this like nudging from the Holy Spirit when she rides the train. And she often tries to put her earbuds in and just like zone out and listen to music. But she feels like for whatever reason, God wants to have a conversation with her on the train. And she is usually happy when she she gives into that nudge and she often tells us about her time on Septa Church. And so Rachel um, made a little drawing of Septa Church and we all thought it was pretty, it was a pretty great ex colorful expression of um, a conversation with God. But to me, it's, it, it was just a little um, expression of the reality of God relating to us through each other and uh, like the power of us kind of acknowledging that and to one another and supporting each other in that. I think that's, I think we need that to, re to resist the isolation that we can so easily get into in our heads. We need to acknowledge what God is doing in each other's lives and it, it helps us to do that. I was thinking um, that a really a, another radical way that we are organized as a church um, to change the status quo is in sharing our money. We live in a culture of perce perceived scarcity when it's so easy to worry. Even as I was writing this talk, I thought, I, I, how much money is in our savings account? I need to know. It's so easy to worry about not having enough money for the future, right? You know, how many of us feel like we're not ever going to be able to retire? Who knows what it's going to what it's going to be like. I saw this article in the Onion this week and it made me like laugh and cry at the same time because I have several 30-year-old friends who want to buy houses right now but feel the challenge of this economic environment. I, I need to read you a little blurb from it. Admitting they would never be able to afford a place without sharing expenses, the nation's 30-year-olds announced Friday that they had pooled all their resources to buy uh, a two-bedroom bungalow together. It may not seem like much for a few million people, but we can finish the basement and maybe add another bedroom. <laughs> because, plus, it's nicer than all of our old places, said Zach Bartley, who noted the house had some plumbing issues and a really outdated kitchen. There's a pretty big closet that we might turn into an office, which is cool, and we have 700,000 dogs. So getting a place with a backyard for once is really nice. 
We might need to buy a few futons for the living room, though, because our 1.7 million younger brothers need to move in for a few months. And it goes on. The onion exaggerates, of course, but I think the point is clear that it's not, it's not really easy out there, and lots of people are worried, and we might even think that it's smart and responsible to uh, give our lives to our employers and um, you know, fill up our time working 10 jobs if we need to um, and being in constant worry about our 401k or how our kids aren't going to get to go to college. And I think, of course, there's wisdom in being responsible and in planning for the future, right? But according to Jesus, there's even more wisdom in doing what we can right now with the resources that we have right now to make God's kingdom known. When I was thinking about risk, you know, I think my kids are like way better off with me doing what God is calling me to do than I could, if I could buy them a car or make sure their college is totally paid for. So one of the most risky things I think we can do is take Jesus seriously about our hearts being where our money is and building something together now that's going to last for eternity. So in Circle of Hope, we have a common fund. Um, we buy buildings to have spaces like this that can be used for worship and all throughout the week as places of community and refuge and learning. And so many of you participate in like making that vision a reality. And not just the building, but in having a mutuality fund where we get, we help each other out when we're in need and we are able to send money around the world um, to people we don't even know who are in great need. So having, taking the risk to invest in a common fund allows us to do that. And I know it takes risk, not just when I read The Onion, but I, I know it takes risk and faith and vision, and I hope we keep doing it as God leads. I hope we even can, can raise more money and put a window in this room so that we can really, we can keep opening up, opening this place up to others who are looking Talking about how we're organized, I could also go on and on about our, how our compassion teams um, are taking risks with their time and hearts and money and relationships to reveal God's kingdom now. Um, I was taking a walk through FDR Park yesterday, and Chris Eden called out to me because our participatory defense hub was having a, I didn't even know it, they were having a picnic there. Um, with lots of their people, and I love that there were so many people in that crew that I didn't even know yet who are, like, in our building every week and um, finding a way through the justice system, through the work that Bethany and Chris are doing. Our compassion teams extend the hands of Jesus, uh, not just throughout our city, but all around the world. Like, our newest, the newest team is making quilts that they send to refugees in other parts of the world. That's the heart of Jesus. So if we're taking inspiration from Rosa Parks on risk-taking, and I, I think our questioner is, is doing that, 
I think we're talking about building a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And I want to leave you with this encouragement from the writer of Hebrews, even though um, it's got a lot of Old Testament stuff in there and we don't have time to study it here at the end of the message. But it's about being freed from the laws of the world. And even the laws of old religion, whatever that may be for each of us, I know for me and a lot of people I talk to, that's often about like, that old religion is often about shame or uh, guilt or not feeling like we are empowered um, or holy enough to take risks for God. We're often held back by the past or the future. But the reality that the writer is writing about here is that Jesus is making a way for us right now, a new way through fear and doubt with the gift of his own self, his own very spirit in each of us. So let me, let me read you this passage with a little commentary. Try to just get what you can, what God says to you. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and voice whose words may made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. He's talking about a, a, a fearful old way. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That's a better word than revenge, a better word than sin remembered. So see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they didn't escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised. Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, the things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. So here's the heart of it, of the call. Let us, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So again, I think there's there's a lot more that we could glean from from the writer of Hebrews if we talked about all of the, the Hebrew experience there. But I think the heart of the message is that we can hear from God now as an us. There's a lot of us in here. The writer's speaking to the to the church. We can hear from God now as the people we are, as an us to live for the risks worth taking, for that which remains, 
for that which is eternal. You know, not just the distractions and the worries that bog us down, but that which will last. I think we are allowed and even called to hone in on the presence of the living God and the people that we can love into this movement movement with us. And let the, let the lesser stuff kind of fade away. So that's, uh, that's my prayer for us this week. Why don't we pray right now together, and then we'll talk back. Lord, you, you know exactly the moment that we're in as, as individuals and as a people together. And I know that you've called us to this time and place I pray that you would show us each and together what are the risks that we're called to take this year, this month even. Show us, show us what remains. Show us the gift of your presence. Show us the path that is before us. And I want to thank you for this body that we can listen together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.